You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 354 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you live on this fine Sunday afternoon slash evening. The Atlanta Hawks got a victory on this uh, on this fine afternoon, 113 to 112 over the Phoenix Suns. If you probably uh, are looking, you probably can't hear the uh, noise behind me, but uh, that's one of those things where I am not actually in the arena recording this podcast. Uh, new listeners to the podcast, for those of you that are just joining us, I normally record after home games in the arena, but this time the Hawks do not have a home game for about a week, so a little bit of a look behind the curtain. The arena is being turned over and it is unfathomably loud in there at the moment, so I tried to record. The uh, sound quality was going to be poor enough where I had to put that off. And here we are live from my uh, home dwelling. So hopefully uh, you, you probably have noticed that there's no background noise. And hopefully that's all right with everybody that I waited a little bit to record the podcast. So uh, before we get into the nuts and bolts of things, uh, the Hawks made the decision early on on the uh, early on, on Sunday to uh, keep Antonius Cleveland on a second 10-day contract. Uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar with him, obviously he was uh, not a guy who played in his first 10-day contract. The Hawks fa- famously signed him while he is injured. He was on a two-way earlier this season with the Dallas Mavericks, a uh, guy that the Hawks clearly like. In fact, I've heard now multiple times, uh, not, not officially, but the Hawks uh, are planning to keep, keep him for the rest of the season. I, I mean, that kind of makes sense as to why you would sign a guy who is injured. if You, you must like him as a prospect. Clearly the Hawks do. And uh, officially, they have signed him to a second 10-day contract that started on Sunday. Uh, the first one expired on Saturday, so they had to do that in order to keep him on the roster officially. So they did that, and uh, I would be pretty surprised at this point if the Hawks did not sign him again at the at the end of this 10-day contract to a full-season contract that's uh, you know non-guaranteed, all that fun stuff. And uh, we'll see how the Hawks treat him moving forward. So that's not a huge thing for the game, obviously, because he did not play in it. He was, in, he was inactive and has been injured and still is injured, but apparently he's getting close to practicing. Saw him warming up a little bit on Sunday before the game. Looked fine to me, so hopefully he'll be back to practice and potentially appearing in a game over the next couple of weeks. Um, The headliner before the game on Sunday itself Aside from that, was the was the choice for the Hawks to rest Kent Bazemore in this spot. This is the second time that Bazemore has rested. Uh, you might remember that right before the All Star break, when the Hawks were in Detroit, they sat Bazemore for rest purposes. And uh, today it was the exact same thing, except for this time it was at home, which is always more controversial because uh, teams usually like to rest their guys on the road. Uh, Bud mentioned this as part of a maintenance thing for Bazemore. Uh, he was certainly healthy enough to play, and he was very active on the bench in terms of uh, cheering the uh, cheering the comrades on. But at, at the same time, uh, the uh, Hawks made, made that decision. I have no problem with it whatsoever. It wasn't as if they mass benched guys, and you know, as I've stated before, Bazemore before this game had played in 62 of 63 games, so he's had a huge workload. He's been a centerpiece of a lot of stuff for the Hawks this season. So obviously, it's not great to bench guys uh, at home. And I think if you look, if you read between the lines here, this is a spot where the Hawks would have been the Hawks were a three, three and a half point favorite over the Suns with Bazemore in the lineup at home, and without him, that he certainly had a chance to lose this game. So from a tanking standpoint, you know, the Hawks don't obviously are not going to acknowledge that, but it did make some sense to race to rest Bazemore in this particular game because this was a game where the Hawks would have been a a fairly solid favorite to win had Bazemore played. Obviously, they still went on to win, but I had no real beef with this. I know some fans will certainly be upset with it, and I understand that that point of view as well, but it was just one player. Uh, the rest of the Hawks roster was, uh, at least the ones uh, that are healthy, were available to play in this spot and did play, uh, but there you go with Kent, and the Hawks clearly missed him in this spot, even if, even if they uh, went on to get a victory. 
Um, so moving right along to the game itself, we'll, we'll sort of go through the uh, nuts and bolts of what transpired here. The Hawks, this is a pretty ugly basketball game, all, all told. It was definitely a little bit better in the second half, more entertaining. The first half was pretty brutal to watch in a lot of ways. The offenses actually ended up producing at a reasonable rate on both sides of the floor. A 107 offensive rating for the Hawks, a 106 for the Suns. Um, and the shooting percentages were actually pretty good on both sides. The Hawks shot 17 of 33 from three, and that was really the reason why they were able to win this game. It's just knocking down a ton of threes. Love was led by Torian Prince, but... Uh, and obviously, you know, Phoenix, Phoenix themselves also shot 50% from the floor, but the first half was pretty unsightly. Uh, four, turnover, four turnovers for each team in the first three and a half minutes. So at that point, uh, both teams were on pace to just turn the ball over 48 times each. That was obviously not, never going to happen. But a lot of runs in this game, back and forth, 8-0 runs, 7-0 runs, 11-0 runs, uh, all the way down this list, and 9-2 to open the to open the third quarter. Phoenix looked as if at that point in time, the Suns were going to run away with this thing potentially, but the Hawks were able to battle back there. But in you know, that first half, uh, Miles Plumlee played, played five minutes and actually had three fouls in the first quarter or so. The Hawks started 7 of seven of 11 from three. That ended up booing them a lot of the night. Uh, there was a huge run from the Hawks to take a seven-point lead late in the first uh, late in the first half with a uh, with uh, Jalen Morris and Bachman Laney combining there to take a seven-point lead at 54-47. to 47. Um, From there, though, Phoenix tied the game with a seven straight to end the first half. T.J. Warren was a huge problem for the Hawks in this spot. The uh, Suns forward finished with 35 points on 16-26 of 26 from the floor. Warren had 29 in the first three quarters. Looked like he was on his way to 40. He did slow down a little bit down the stretch, but he was certainly an issue all night long. Um, uh, in terms of other notes to hit on, Malcolm Delaney injured his uh, left ankle at the end of the third quarter. He was quickly ruled out for the rest of the game. No update, but he was seen in a walking boot in the locker room. Uh, and Mike Bunozer uh, indicated that he is worried. At that point, that was during the press conference. He had not spoken to Malcolm yet, so uh, that's what the caveat, the fact that uh, Bunozer didn't know anything more than we had already known that he was ruled out for the game. But he clearly was a little bit uh, worried about Malcolm's status and moving forward, I think you'll probably see Josh Majette up in, in, in the near future if there's any concern that Delaney might miss a couple of games here. Uh, you know, the Hawks do have Schroeder and Isaiah Taylor, so they do have two point guards. They don't have to call up Josh Majette necessarily, but um, if they want to have three on the roster, and usually the Hawks do, it might be a, a case where Majette's uh, necessary. I will say, though, Erie's in the middle of a playoff push, so if the, uh, the Hawks care about that at all, which not, they may, honestly. I mean, it's one of those things where if you, look, if you look at the reasons why Andrew White might not be with the Hawks right now, it might be one reason is that uh, with all the wings, all the wing issues right now having white in Atlanta would have made a lot of sense but he remains in Erie, and that could be why Bajet is there as well. But and as we saw at the end of this game here, the Hawks did go with a point guardless lineup that was pretty surprising down the stretch. Without doing a whole lot of play-by-play, the Hawks were going. Hawks were set to close with Isaiah Taylor, Tyler Dorsey, Torian Prince, Mike Mescal, and Mason. Sorry, Mason Miles Plumley down the stretch. That was the that was the five-man lineup in the stretch run. Pretty surprisingly, no John Collins, no Dwayne Debman, no no Dennis Schroeder. Um, there was a skirmish though with 2:14 to go uh, that left. Actually, it started with Torian Prince and Josh Jackson getting teed up for some trash talk some physicality a little bit under the rim. And then Isaiah Taylor and Alfred Payton both got ejected on both sides there. And a couple of technical fouls for Prince and Jackson as well as Marquise Chris. Um, that kind of, and that left, of course, the Hawks without Isaiah Taylor to play. And instead of putting the shooter back in the game, Bud went with a backcourt of uh, Tyler Dorsey and Jalen Morris, which is a pretty big surprise. I asked Bud about the game, about that decision after the game. Um, and he, he indicated that, you know, a lot of the uh, stuff was just to get the young guys a chance to play. Uh, obviously, he's never going to come out and say that that was tanking related. But one of those things where it's a little bit curious to see Dennis shooter on the bench. I'm not, of course, the biggest shooter supporter in, 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 compared to a lot of the fan base, but in this spot, I thought Dennis played reasonably well. I, I certainly would have, would have been closing with him if you were trying to win that game, but I do understand that a little bit. And, uh, you know, Bud mentioned the fact that 
it's, uh, and I quote, invaluable for guys like Taylor, sorry, for guys like Dorsey and Morris to get that time at the end of the game. So that was the decision there. Uh, Devin Booker had a potential four-point play that he missed the free throw on that would have given Phoenix the lead with 148 to go from there. It was a back and forth. But uh, Torian Prince, uh, the Hawks were down by two with seven uh, late in the game, and uh, Prince hit a, a contested, really kind of an awful shot, honestly, um, from Prince with the game winner with 7.6 seconds to go. He got it to go to put the Hawks up by one. You know, obviously, that's a no, 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 yes kind of shot where you dread the fact that he rose up and shot it, but you obviously, are, if you're a Hawks fan, you definitely enjoyed, of course, um, him making it, if, at least to, at least until you realize the uh, ping pong ball significance of that shot. But on the other end of the floor, Devin Booker had a pretty good look uh, over Tyler Dorsey, ended up missing it, and uh, I talked to a couple people after the game sort of speculating. I think uh, percentage-wise, the combination of Prince making the shot that he ended up making and Booker missing the shot that he ended up missing was probably about a 5% chance, maybe 10% chance, the way that Prince's shot, I can't imagine he makes that shot more than 20% of the time. And then Booker had a really good look that he normally would convert. So a pretty lucky sequence if you were the Hawks there. And of course, unlucky if you're, if you're rooting for the Hawks to lose this game, because there's, of course, all the lottery um, implications in the world in this spot. Um, before we get into the player stuff here, the Suns with the loss are now 19 and 46. The Hawks are now 20 and 44. And that was a huge win uh, win for the Hawks in terms of uh, losing ping pong ball position. Uh, a quick look at 538 before we get into the player stuff here. The Hawks are now projected to win 25 games. So no, no change there. And that's a bit of an uptick there. But, you know, the Suns and the Grizzlies now separating the, from the pack a little bit, projected to win 23 games. Now there are four teams in the league with fewer than 20 wins. The Hawks now have 20. So uh, I think it's too much. You know, a lot of Hawks fans that, were, that, are, uh, that are pro-tanking are certainly upset with the result. And I will say this is probably the worst possible result, probably the worst win of the season from that standpoint. One of those things where the Hawks didn't play particularly well. They had a couple of guys that did play well. Phoenix was terrible in this game. It was really not a well-played game. It was better in the second half, as I mentioned before. But uh, on the whole, pretty unsightly performance. And, of course, the Hawks ended up winning it in weird fashion at the end. So if you are a pro-tanking enthusiast, I certainly understand your outrage with this, with this particular victory. Uh, being a team that you're that you're battling with is uh, pretty pretty not great there in terms of that uh, positioning. And, but, of course, you know there, there is some value in it has to be said, there is some value to winning those gun games, executing on the stretch, even though I, 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 the execution was necessarily fantastic on the Hawks side. There's some, there's some value to getting Prince some confidence, uh, giving the young guys some play time. And uh, learning how to win games at the end of a contest. So there's all that. If you want, if you want to spin it positively, I can do that. If you want to spin it negatively, I can do that too. But a lot of Hawks fans sort of weighing in, thinking that it's now a no-brainer that the Hawks have no chance to get the top, get, get in the top three. I would not go that far at all. And uh, plenty to get to in terms of that front between now and uh, mid-bay when the lottery arrives. So with that said, uh, obviously an entertaining, entertaining close to the game that involved the game winner and a game loser from Booker, uh, despite all, despite the fact that it was a good look, all that stuff. But we get into the player uh, portion of the podcast. We'll start with the bench first. Mike Muscala had a good game here. 10 points, 3 rebounds, and 23 minutes. He was 4 of 6 from the floor, 2 of 3 from 3. The Hawks really made all of their, all of their runs. With a Muscala Plumley front court, which is pretty pretty crazy. I have been critical of that front court existing, uh, just because that's not great, the greatest pairing in the world. But it, you know, quote unquote, worked in this spot, and I thought Muscala played very well individually. Miles um, Plumley had his best statistical game as a member of the Hawks: ten points and eleven rebounds in twenty six minutes from Plumley. I didn't think he was fantastic, but the numbers probably indicate that I was uh, a little bit low on him. There, it was his first double double as, as an NBA player since November seventh, twenty fourteen, when he was playing for the Phoenix Suns. Uh, that, that's that courtesy of Mike Conti, and uh, pretty interesting 
there. Uh, pretty, uh, you know, the synergy in terms of, in terms of that. But Plumlee playing more minutes than uh, Collins, played more minutes than Deadman, played more minutes than Mescala. He led the entire front court in minutes, and that's something that you don't love to see. But uh, yeah, it ended up it ended up you know quote unquote working in this spot because he actually did give you the Hawks some pretty good minutes here. Isaiah Taylor, 20 minutes, um, eight points, three assists, two rebounds before he was ejected. Three of eight from the floor. I thought he was, uh, you know, he was pretty good in this spot. Had a couple of nice moments in the second half, especially Malcolm Delaney, 15 minutes of play before he exited with the ankle injury. I think he probably would have been playing a little bit more, obviously, in the fourth quarter. Uh, had 12 points to lead the entire bench in scoring. Three assists, two steals, and a block. He was three of five from three. Uh, played very well, I thought, in his limited minutes. And then Jalen Morris, seven points, five rebounds, two assists in 25 minutes. I really, really like Jalen Morris. I said that during the game. I've said that a couple of times on this podcast. But, you know, the question is, it was with his jump shot. He did make a three in this game. He was one of two from three. If he could just be a thirty, a low 33-point shooter, I think he could probably be an NBA player based on what we've seen so far. He's still pretty young. I like his intensity. I like his defense. Sort of just knows where to be. That kind of stuff. It gets clear that the, that the staff likes him as well. So we'll keep an eye on him in the future. I'm not sure still that he's going to be an NBA player because the jump shot just has to play up a little bit. But I did like what he gave the Hawks in the spot. Uh, moving on to the, to the starting lineup. Tyler Dorsey got the start. His second start uh, of his career. He led the team in minutes with, with 32. It was 4 of 12 on the floor. 2 of 5 from 3. 12 points, 5 rebounds, and 3 assists. I, I, I still don't think Dorsey's playing all that well, frankly. I talked about this a little bit on the, on the recent podcast. The fact that he's really struggling from an efficiency standpoint, he had a 47% true shooting percentage coming into this game and was still uh, still pretty inefficient. There, there are times where he looks great and gets to his spots and really he kind of knows, kind of knows what he's doing in terms of operating a pick and roll, which is a good thing for a rookie. He has some command of that. So when, when the ball's in his hands, he does look a little bit better than when he's off the ball, frankly, a lot of the time. But I just, I'm not 100% sold on him as a, as a shot creator just yet. And if he's not that, he's going to have a really, a really tough time sticking in the league. But good to see him playing a lot of minutes here. I have no problem with that whatsoever. Give the guy that you just drafted a ton of opportunities and he had, a, he had a couple of nice moments in this game. Uh, Dwayne Dedman, 22 minutes, 7 points, 4 rebounds, was minus 10. Did not play well. In fact, uh, he and Collins together, uh, Bud was clearly not very happy with that pairing uh, early in the third quarter when he went uh, really, really, really early to um, the Collins, sorry, to the Dedman, I can't, I can't speak today, uh, to the Plumlee-Muscala front court um, in the opening minutes of the third quarter after the after the Suns went on a 9-2 run. Bud sort of acknowledged that, um, that he was not, not necessarily happy with the interior defense. Uh, Nate Duncan, friend of the program, mentioned that was uh, one of the worst interior defensive sequences that he's seen in a long time. That, that first four or five minutes or so from the Hawks in the third quarter. It was pretty bad. It's not all Collins and Deadman, but those guys did not play particularly well by their standards in this game. Uh, you know, Speaking of that, John Collins, 22 minutes, four points, seven rebounds, two assists, two steals, and three turnovers at five fouls, as well as one of six from the floor. I don't think he was as bad as those numbers indicate, but Collins has certainly had better games, to be sure. He tried a, he tried a monster dunk on Marquise, on Marquise Chris that was in, ended up blocked. That was not necessarily Collins' fault. It was a great play by Chris, who I don't like a whole lot as a prospect. He had a really nice highlight there, had a couple of good moments here if you're looking for positives for the Suns, which I'm not sure why you would be if you're listening to this podcast, but there you go. Uh, Chris has some nice moments, and that was probably the highlight of the game, honestly, uh, aside from the game winner was uh, Chris's block on Collins, but you know, back to Collins. I don't think he played particularly well here, and uh, he and Devin have certainly had better days playing together. Uh, next on the agenda, Dennis Schroeder, 21 points, 6 rebounds, 6 assists, and 4 turnovers in 24 minutes. He was 9 of 16 from the floor. It looked like he might have gotten knocked around a little bit in the second half, but he did, he did return after that, and I asked Point Blake uh, to Mike Budenholzer if he was uh, injured at all down the stretch. That was why he didn't play, and he certainly said no to that, so it looks like it was a coach's decision, and I mentioned before, you know, Bud, Bud pointed to the experience of the young guys. I will say it felt like a tanking move to some degree, obviously, to not put Schroeder back in the game there. Uh, you know, his numbers 
looked good. 21-6-6 and six is a, a nice game for Dennis. I don't, I don't think he was quite as good as those, as, as, as those numbers indicated, um, but still a pretty good performance from Dennis on the whole and him not playing a whole lot there. Uh, sort of draw your own conclusions at this point in time in terms of that, but no injury, at least according to what the Hawks are saying at this point in time. Uh, finally, Torian Prince, 8 of 16 from the floor, 6 of 8 from 3. He was red hot from 3-point range, 22 points to lead the Hawks in scoring. Five rebounds and two assists. Offensively, had some nice moments. The Hawks were really uh, using him to initiate the offense in the final minutes of this game uh, with, with, of course, Sugar on the bench um, and Bazemore out of this game. It was pretty much the only option there, especially after Taylor left, who Taylor sort of the other offensive engine when those guys play on bench lineups and uh, without Delaney as well. They really didn't have anybody else to initiate offense, so Prince did a lot of that. Uh, you know, the, the, the game winner was not a good shot. There's no question about that. He ended up making it, so credit to him on that. But, you know, three-point shooting is encouraging. Uh, defensively, he was responsible for a lot of T.J. Warren going crazy. It was not all about Torian, but he had a rough night defensively at, at various times. And a lot, listen, a lot of the Hawks guys did. It was not not only Torian that had defensive issues in this game, you know, playing without your best defensive wing and Kent Bazemore leaves the Hawks in a, in a weird spot. And frankly, Devin Booker wasn't great in the spot. If, if Devin Booker had been good, the Hawks would have been in some serious trouble. But, you know, Torian, you know, Bud mentioned this as well. Torian, 6 of 8 from 3, really helped the uh, Hawks to uh, get to that 17 of 33 mark from 3-point range. And without that, they obviously lose this game. So Torian's offense was huge. Defensively had some real issues. And I didn't think he played all that well, honestly, on the whole. But he made shots. And that ended up being, uh, that's a lot, you know, that's sort of at the end of the game. You have to be able to make shots in a spot like this. And uh, Torian made, it, made the biggest one as well as five others from beyond the arc. So, uh, with that said, the Hawks get the win here. Obviously, it's not the the sky's not falling for the tankers, even though I'm sure it doesn't look doesn't feel great in this spot. If you were a uh, an anti tanking person and want to root for all the wins, this is a this is a fun game. The Hawks are not you know they're very respectable at home. They're 15 and 19 on the season at Phillips Arena, which is not great, obviously, but a pretty solid record, honestly, given the given the talent level, all that fun stuff on the road. They are five and 25. That's probably a little bit more uh, closer to what you would think uh, in this spot. But you know the Hawks, you know the energy was good. Honestly, in Phillips Arena, it was a pretty good crowd on a Sunday afternoon, uh, even despite the uh, the uh, less than stellar opponent. And it was a pretty good atmosphere to be in. So uh, hopefully that's enough to take away some some positivity from this game, even if you are on either side of the taking debate, because that's that's one that's going to certainly rage on in the coming days. Um, the next game, the next game for the Hawks is going to be Tuesday, north of the border in Toronto. That's probably a losing effort, uh, to be honest with you. It's one of those one of those games where Toronto, if you're not paying attention to the entire league, the Raptors are playing outstanding basketball. They've been playing the best, best basketball in the East this season by a pretty wide margin, in my opinion. Uh, you know, Nothing to say that the Hawks couldn't go in there and win, but it's one of those things where it's be, it'd be a pretty shocking outcome if they went on the road and won in Toronto before. And then they have two days off before they go to Indiana and play on Friday. So a pretty light week at the office. And of course, the Hawks now have to venture away after four consecutive home games. So a little bit of a different scene there with the Hawks going on the road. And if you are Again, if you're if you're pro tanking, uh, the losses can, pro, can pile up in a hurry. The schedule gets pretty difficult here in the near future when it comes to the rest of May. So. With all that said, I really appreciate you guys listening to the podcast. If you're a new listener, welcome to the show. I really appreciate that. And if you like the podcast, please subscribe on uh, Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or TuneIn Radio or Google Play. Wherever you listen to podcasts, we will probably be there as well as on Spotify and other places. And every single podcast is uh, hosted uh, by the good folks at Peace Hoops, where I'm the editor-in-chief. So if you want to have a written uh, sort of write-up of the podcast, you can look there as well. So with all that said, we'll be back again tomorrow with a new episode of the podcast, probably something that will be a little bit more broad than this particular uh, game break. So if you want to check that out, please do that, and we will see you guys on Tuesday.